Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Hi. You know that movie you always wanted to see, but you didn't for whatever reason? Well, I call those black hole films. Everyone has them, and this podcast aims to do something about that. I'm Jeremy Lalonde, and every episode I'll be joined by one or more guests to watch a film that at least someone in that group hasn't seen. We'll talk about our expectations of it before it, and then our thoughts after it. This is episode 60, and I'm joined by one half of the Butler brothers, Jason Butler, who's responsible for such indie films as First Round Down and Morning is Broken, as well as returning guest Mark Weingast. And we're going to sit down and watch a film together. All right, so we're sitting down to watch High and Low. I'm Jeremy. I have not seen this movie. I'm Mark. I haven't seen the movie. I'm Jason, and I have not seen this movie. Oh, all versions. I like it. I have this, so I have, um, do you guys on the Criterion site, do you have, like, your membership where you, like, you list the movies you own and the ones that are on your... your yeah, I, I've got one that I own. Yeah, online I've got what I own, but... In my physical collection, I list by spine number, not alphabetical, not direct. Oh, that's what I mean. I just mean because on the other website, you can basically write down... You can have a list of the ones you own and the ones that you want. Right. And so I I keep that because it's nice for my mother-in-law and my wife for birthday and Christmas presents. That I can just be like, here, buy me something out here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so this was one... My mother-in-law bought me this two years ago, and I haven't gotten around to it yet. Because she just randomly bought... Because there's a lot of ones on that list where I'm like, yeah. oh, I want to see this one eventually, but I'm not dying to see this one. Yeah. But she doesn't discern. She just grabs what... She just kind of randomly picks it. So uh, this is one of those ones where I was like, oh, I'm not dying to see this one just yet. But I've just recently really, really got into Kurosawa. So now I was itching for it. Yeah. Like for me, I've only seen two of his films. Not even Seven Samurai. I've seen Yojimbo and I've seen Rashomon. Those are the only two. So I'm going into this blind... So I've seen Rashomon, and I have Yojimbo, but I haven't watched it yet. Oh, it's fun. Okay, I've seen those. I've seen, I'm a big uh, Toshiro Mifune fan, so I feel like guilty for not watching this. He's so, supposed yeah. to be amazing in this. He's amazing in everything, so yeah. Yeah. I'm excited. It's a great. It's like one of the greatest director-actor pairings. It was, it's so weird, because I, um, I, I went back and I got the... Uh, there's this great series with Criterion, the Eclipse series, where they do those bundles of lesser-known lesser movies. And so there's two for Kurosawa. There's an early films and a post-war one where I was just at the beginning of his career. And they're not they're not amazing films. It's back when he was just part of like the sausage studio system, which, I mean, he still was later on. But it was before um, Mifune and him really got together. So it's interesting watching, because basically not, they did pretty much everything together after a while. So it's interesting watching the earlier stuff without him. Right. And him, like, you, you see it's like he's kind of struggling to find a muse yeah. uh, in there. And the, and the work's somewhat unfocused because of it. Uh, but you're starting to see the really interesting things that he's playing around with within, within the confines of what he was dealing with at the beginning of his career, which is really interesting. Uh, yeah. All I know about this movie is that it's based on an American novel, and it's adapted, and that's all I know. Uh, I mean, all I know is that Toshiro Mifune is in it, and... It, 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 <laughs> it, oh, no, not just that. There's there's something about a heist or a kidnapping, something along the lines of that. That's again, as far as I know. Mm. Yeah, uh, I just really know it from the cover art at the video store I used to work at, and it just kind of uh, I always stayed away because of the cover art it was a little bit funky. So yeah. that's that's basically it. I was like, I know I should watch this. My boss says you gotta watch this, 
And I was just like, this is funky cover art. I'm just not into it right now. I think I, that's what I find in general with Kurosawa, and that's why I stayed away from him as long as I did. He was one of the ones I never got into when I was in film school and watching all the Europeans and all those, the foreign masters. Uh, because the movies are all long, a lot of them. And also, I just assumed they'd feel like homework. But when I finally sat down and watched Seven Samurai, I was just like, holy shit, this is fun. Mm. Like, why didn't someone tell me it was fun? Oh, yeah. oh <laughs> yeah. if, you, if you like Seven Samurai in terms of, like, that's fun, Yojimbo and Sanjuro are supposed to be, like, a great pairing of each other. It's, it's all well, and they, it, One's a sequel, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. yeah it's a sequel. Same with, like, Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2. It's basically the same kind of story, just a little bit different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I'm, ex- I'm assuming... There's some of that. I think it's also a bit of a heist crime film. I think it's a bit noir. Yeah, I think yeah. it's got a little bit of everything. So, yeah, I'm jacked. I'm uh, jacked. Well, let's just dive in. Let's do it. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. All right, we just finished, more or less. Uh, yeah. So in Japanese, it actually translates to heaven and hell. Uh, it kind of makes sense in terms of, you know, Gondo's up and, you know, hi, he's bourgeois, bourgeoisie kind of, I wouldn't say hotshot, but, you know, and then he's, what's ri- the, he's rich. What's and, the guy's name? Which guy? The guy, the, the, the bad, bad guy. guy. The, the intern, yeah. the, the, uh, what was his motivation? We'll call him the intern. <laughs> yeah, well, let's talk about that. I mean, that's, what, what, what really struck me about this movie was... First of all, I got really disappointed when I realized it wasn't all going to take place in that one room. Right. Because I was so captivated. Mm-hmm. It was like a really great stage play. Yeah. And so I, I was just sitting there going, oh, this is going to be a complete chamber piece. And I'm into it. It's working really well. And then all of a sudden, as soon as you get to the train sequence, when they go to pick up the kid, it becomes almost a different movie. Right. It's like it's like two different movies, really. It's it's the the story of what happens before and the story of what happens after. And I really think I prefer the story of what happened before. Oh yeah, totally. Um I'm with you 100%. I I thought, okay, well why are they even going outside initially when it was just set up in that room and occasionally I was like, you don't even need the outside. This is great as is. The blocking was amazing. And uh interesting you said about the heaven and hell because high and low, I kept thinking about that. For all the blocking, because there were so many shots where there was just the guy's head sitting down. It was mm-hmm. like at the bottom of the frame. And there was this huge space above them. And then one person would come into frame that way. And I was like, oh, this is, this is heavy stuff here. Um, and then, like you said, they switch gears. <clears throat> and then they had the world's longest drug copping scene in the oh, history. God. Did, I think they had the longest stakeout. Did we all fall asleep during <laughs> that section? Oh, holy cow. It just I, feels like a very extended Law and Order procedural Without yeah. without going to trial, but that's just that the irony is like the more, in theory, intense the movie got in and moved around from location to location, the more I got kind of pulled out of it. Mm. Yeah, I think like I think we all nodded off at one point during that stakeout, <laughs> whatever they were doing. Yeah, I um, thought I thought it was going to be more about morality and sort of the, the gray areas and sort of a you know, which it was at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. and. I was, I was assuming that one of those guys was involved and the, one know, of the things were, yeah, well, one of the cops. And then I thought maybe it was one of, one of the people, the directors, that they're going to be tied in somehow or someone's in cahoots with somebody. And it was all going to be more about that than a law and order procedural for the, you know, two thirds of it. And I can't decide whether I like better if I like the idea that it was all just a coincidence and he kind of got taken down by this random kid who just hated him from afar. Because he was random, right? There was yeah. no connection yeah. to anything. Yeah. 
I even thought at the end he was going to be like, yeah, you're my son or just something, but no. Well, there's that long pause when he first sits down. It's like, oh, they know each other. It's like, no, they don't. Yeah, nothing. He's, he's just waiting for him to speak. Love yeah. child. And, and then I was thinking about the context <clears throat> of, you know, when this film was made and all that, you know, and Japanese culture and how, the, you know, the restraint being shown and all that. And I was like, well... That plays some, but, you know, I still kind of was hoping for more of that, maybe that North American where there was something a little bit more insidious going on or scandalous or, you know, one sort of rogue over-the-top guy who, you know, would just be like, I'm going to catch the bastard and just do something crazy. But it was all, other than Aoki, the the driver who was like trying to jolt some memory out of his kid, everyone was very, (laughs) everyone was under control. Everyone was doing their job diligently. That's the Japanese way. Yeah, just so... (laughs) I'm like, oh. Well, you had you had his second in command who fucked him over. Who who went to the other partners and was like, so this is going on. Yeah, and comes back and being like, I I did you, I did you favor. You're welcome. But I was convinced, like I was, and that's, I guess that's where it went off the rails for me in the second half, where I was really caught up in going, who's doing this to him? Yeah. And what's the motive? Because there's so much going on. Yeah. It seems way too coincidental. Um, I love that section too when they're in the. That, that great section when they're in the bullpen. Um, and it, and it's a long scene, too. And they're all going up. And it's like, this is the traffic guys. These are the people that are on the street. Yeah. These are, I, yeah. I was... All that was great. Like, that yeah. Law & Order episode part of it worked great for me. Yeah. And and the one guy, the Bosno Basson, or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The kind of stout cop who was, who was there since the beginning. Uh, he was the one that went to see the executives. He's like, they're all assholes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just... <laughs> how frank he was uh, and how convinced he was they were involved in it and so yeah part of me likes the the underwhelmingness of the fact that it wasn't all connected but th- but that first and I don't know how much you know about how Kurosawa works but th- those scenes at the beginning like when he does those scenes like that they would have rehearsed he would have rehearsed with those actors for weeks yeah and then rehearsed with the camera not even shooting with lights and everything, probably for another week right. before they shot a frame. Well, a lot of that just, was evident because that was just yeah. No, I, I choreography know, was unbelievable. The stage, yeah, I noticed a lot of times, and I, I feel like this is something David Fincher might might have taken note from in his um, in his filming that like he moves the camera with the actors, so if they're going up, yeah. going up with them, so you're still like eye level. Well, that's so why Fincher does. You're like, trying to follow them. That's why Fincher does like ninety takes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's less. There's less, I mean, he's more precise than Kurosawa just because the technology he has is is more precise. Here, yeah. you can feel the jerkiness of the camera at points in here, but you know, he's as proficient as you can be for yeah. whatever year this is. Like, I could look it up in the box, but yeah. um, I, I think uh, Tashiro Mifune did a fantastic job with you know, uh, kind of emoting that empathy of you know having that moral dilemma of do I save my driver's kid or do I use the money to you know, that fifty million to buy out, you know the the rest of the shares. Oh, absolutely! Like yeah. the thing is, he's like like Jason was saying about the gray area. That's yeah. what I loved about it is that I kind of see both sides of it. Mm-hmm. I understand. It's like yeah, it's like he didn't take my kid. Why the fuck would I risk everything I have for? Isn't that the police's job? Isn't that your job to yeah track this guy, find him? Well, they dropped all those little things, too, with the wife and the dowry, and I liked all those elements, and I would have liked to have seen that just all occur in that one room, and stakes go higher, and, 
you know, emotional yeah. anger occurs between everybody and, you know, some, some duplicitousness or whatever. And, uh, you know, once, once it really left that apartment, I was like, all right. All I know. Right. I guess yeah. you might have experienced your own, At, your own high and low. You, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no. high in that in that chamber. It's true. It's yeah. It's it's yeah. The first part is very high, and the second part is kind of low. It's interesting. Like the movie for me could have just been: Will he give the money or not? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Stretch that out. Play it all the way, yeah. and not even know what happens at the yeah, end. Working that little band. It's really about yeah. whether or not he's willing to give up his money. Because the movie, it's almost the peak of it, really. When he decides to like, go get the money, and when he makes that phone call, and he and he. Yeah. Gives all the specific demands that the guy I mean, asks for. Even the beginning of the movie, sorry to interrupt. Um, like, like he's telling the the partners, like, no, I'm not going to go with the cheaper stuff. Like, I care about how they're made. I care about like quality. the quality. And yet, he doesn't regard life of you know his driver's son. It, it just really shows that, that sad it, bastard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Aoki, he's just standing there, just kind of mo- he for a guy that has maybe ten lines in the whole movie. You care so much for that. He's just sitting, standing there with his bad posture, just like the yeah. When, when he's not so like humbling over, like almost crying, he's you know like whipping his disobedience. Well, well, and what's amazing, and again, it's down to the blocking in that scene, is they're constantly talking about this this kid, and he's in the background. He's yeah. just yeah. standing there listening to it, yeah. having to take it, and, there, and I kept on drifting over to him. It's just done so expertly in that that you're just you just you're just so aware of him the whole time, but they're they're purposely not making him a focal point, yeah. and yet there he is, yeah. this <laughs> this poor driver who is the one that has the most to lose, really, um, not in a monetary sense, but he has the least say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and all that stuff. That's stuff I I eat up. That's that's fascinating. And then there's no payoff really at the end either. Like I'm like, okay, you're doing all this, and I kept thinking, man, I, this is this has got. The longer it went on, especially with that drug cop and silliness, stakeouty, I don't even understand like, it's that. It's fine on its own, but just like continuing the story, it's just like I don't care at this point. Yeah, and you well, can just wait for him at the hideout. Like you yeah. planted it and just assume he's going to be there and just nab him. But that being said, I just the longer it went on, I was just like, man, this payoff better be awesome. This. This thing, this scar better be something. You know, this has got to be something. Something's got to be something. And then... No, it really did. It, it d- didn't. Yeah. yeah. This movie could have easily been an hour shorter. Yeah. Yeah. This was how long? Almost two and a half? Or Yeah. It's, it's around... Oh, my God. Two hours and 23 minutes. I checked just on the... On the way up. I was like, 143 minutes. Yeah. You could have trimmed a good... Maybe not an hour, but you could have a good, a good half hour. A good half hour to 40 minutes off I mean, this. leaving just like everybody going through, okay, what did you find out from this? What did you find out Oh, I love that part. I, yeah, that's, that that's part, fantastic. That was fascinating to mm-hmm. me. Just going, oh, what's the process and how... Just where they're going again because this is I wanted it, I wanted to know how it connected, and I love the the pink smoke that was great. Yeah, you know Spielberg ripped them off. Yeah, there we go. Um, um, but I thought that was really really interesting. Um, but yeah, it just it, it also really, was so such a letdown at the end. Yeah, I mean I also really like how when one of the um, the analysts like, listening to the sound of one of the calls is like. Hold on, that's a trolley in the background. Let me go check to see, um, like, what the the train people say because it between this line, this line, and this line, and I know somebody exactly um, who's obsessed with with via trains and knows exactly like what kind it is based on the sound of the tracks, based on the sound of the horn, based on the sound of yeah. 
There was a movie called uh, Sneakers. Do you know this movie? Yeah, oh yeah. And there was a great sequence in that where they're listening to um, a recording of something, of someone on the phone, and they're slow, and they're doing that, and they're going through and listening for a lot. It's somebody that's in a, a trunk of a car. Uh, they were kidnapped, put in the trunk of a car, and they recorded the sounds that they're in, and they're tr- they're able to figure out where the person is by the sounds they can hear, like the, the certain bumps they go over and this and that. Uh, and it reminded me of that sequence, right. which I'm sure is somewhat inspired by this. This is probably one of the first times they did something like that in a movie, where they went through and they listened to the sounds. Yeah, I have no idea in that in regards to that sort of context, but I wouldn't be surprised, all that sort of... That, that police stuff we were watching there, you know, which is, it kind of reminded me of, it's on Netflix right now, The Bridge, which is a, a Danish um, serial. It's like three three seasons long, but a lot of that is about a crime happens, and then you really just watch the cops, like, work it, the detectives work it, but you end up going in a lot of, you know, dead ends, but you yeah. follow it. So I was, it was kind of like that, like, you're we're following everything about this case, even if it didn't really lead anywhere and just the nitty gritty. And I was starting to think when I was watching the film, is that sort of one of the reasons it is that long? It's two and a half hours to really feel that kind of uh, monotony and the high and low again of sort of when you're trying to track something down like this. It's not all like just slam bam excitement. It's kind of sweaty and they always laughed at weird times. It was weird. It worked great. But I like that about it too because I felt realistic. Yeah. Yeah, you're totally. Like these cops, as much as the one guy is super invested because he knows what Mifune is going through, but the rest are like, it's my job. Yeah. You know, and we got you got to laugh, otherwise you'll just be frustrated yeah. all the time. But it's not, it's really, the movie works up until you know who this kid is, you know they're going to catch him, and it's just like you kind of don't care. And you keep on watching because you're expecting this big reversal, and then it doesn't come. Yeah. But it's almost like, not to say Kiersel is like inventing the procedural here, but he kind of is in terms of the sense of how in-depth it gets and, and the kind of the, the mundane, but the the fascinating inside of that. Yeah. Really great. Especially with uh, dealing with the papers, it's like, we found this information, please don't print it out because then the guy's probably going to go hide. Like, we want to yeah. kind of draw him out. But you can fuck over like, this company. Yeah. That, yeah. that would work yeah. for us. have you seen it's another it's a it's a it's a mock true crime show on uh, Netflix called American Vandal yeah Uh, I've seen a little bit of it have you watched the whole thing yeah it's really well done fucking phenomenal there's a shout out to American Vandal if you haven't watched it it's essentially a true crime story set in high school the stakes are pretty super low compared to you know murder mystery it's phenomenal yeah Uh, and I think they're doing more it was really meta. I don't even know how much thought they put into that. Like it, w- it worked on so many levels. It was bananas and funny, yeah. and you know, spot on, like Smart insightful. Yeah, but uh, but it makes me think of like the, the level of detail this movie goes into because I really loved all of that. I thought like the first first two thirds of it worked. I thought like, even the stuff in the train. Like I thought the 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 the, the it was ingenious. The uh, the intricacies. You're, you're going to see the kid here, and you're dropping up there. It's like oh great. We can't stop it. I love that. Yeah. I love it when movies are that smart. Yeah. Um, like, you're going to get a briefcase. It's going to be this size. And why does it have to be that size? Because that's, like, how much the window opens. Yeah. That's smart. But that's also, I don't know where you were when at one point when you you said that you thought maybe the, one of the cops was wasn't on it. It was on the train where I was like, I wonder if one of the cops is part of this. I do, yeah. I mean, I was kind of, 
you know, my mind was just churning right off the bat, especially when it was, I thought it was just occurring in the one apartment. I thought, okay, one of these guys is in on it. Well, and, one they're, and they're trading on information, you know, and I was trying to figure out who's leaving the room when and how does that translate to information coming or when a phone call arrives, you know, just, just thinking about options, just, just yeah. marinating on stuff. Well, I started wondering cause I couldn't remember, I said, I don't remember him calling the cops. All I remember is the assistant getting the police. And I was like, well, what if these guys aren't even cops? As they're coming right, in, totally. as they're coming in in their disguises, and they're all pretend. He's like, "Is this all for his benefit?" Yeah, and it's all one big scam. That crossed so, my mind too. And I was so like, I'm "That gonna, would be amazing." I'm gonna write that version of the movie. <laughs> yeah, uh, but yeah, but I, I started to go through. That. Is, is this all just a big setup for him just to throw that money out, uh, and they're all gonna split it? Right. Because what is thirty million yen? Yeah, it's not quite as much as our, but with inflation, it's still it's a lot of money. It's a lot of money. Like, definitely back in the day, that seemed like a lot of money. So Yeah. yeah. Uh, well, it's enough to buy the... Because he, he had raised, what, $50 million to buy all the shares? Or like a good, like a good majority of the shares, yeah. Yeah, so $30 million's got it. And they said that the highest uh, extortion before that was $2 million. Mm-hmm. So this is a lot more. Yeah. But again, it makes you go... So this kid doesn't know him. He just knows he's rich. He's just making like, up Like number. he lives like on the other side of town, but he still views his house. It's like... Again, wh- why, why do this to his son? Like, how much did he have to study on this guy to really know the habits of like who his son is when they come out? Well, he could he, see his house. He could just yeah. he could watch, he, he watched it every day, and just grew to hate him. So it became an obsession with him. Right, and, and I mean, they, and he totally the, he said at the end he's not going to clarify himself or explain it any further than that. You know, which is again, it's almost like uh, you know Kurosawa knew what the audience was feeling, and he's like, uh uh-uh. uh not giving you the satisfaction, which I find fascinating. Like, it's just the choice at the end to not do it. He, he must know that the audience wants to know more. Like, give us more. We've waited this long, you bastard. So it's, so it's basically a David Lynch film, is what you're saying. <laughs> Come but on. Some, but sometimes you don't, you don't, life doesn't provide those easy answers either. There's something I respect and love about that too. Yeah, yeah, totally. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to all be wrapped up. <laughs> Slam, it's over. All right. It is what it is. And it's not easy. He just hates him. Just grew to hate him. So I guess we have to be satisfied with that. Come to our own conclusions. But uh, Yeah. But that speaks too to the classism of Japanese society, especially in that in that era. You know, they really and, and a lot of their a lot of their their um media of, of that time really does speak to I mean we have a big thing here and now about the haves and the have nots, but they really we were talking about it a lot earlier, even though I think it, it was happening here just as much as it was happening over there. We kind of ignored it and focused on, well, there's this great middle class and that's where most of the people live. Um, so let's just not worry about, you know, the 5% that have everything. <laughs> oh, they made it. So, you know, with that house was really right on the hill too. They really made a point of it there. So, yeah, I mean, to draw into, you know, my own life, uh, experience, my family with my brother Brett, who you know, we lived in Indonesia in the 80s and we went from like just a little two room bungalow here in Toronto to being like filthy rich there. We had like a driver and a, you know, a servant, a cook, and a big mansion with big walls. And it was, uh, 
it was crazy. Like, you know, Brett was like a blonde haired kid at the time and uh, the driver thought he was abducted the one time. We had, it was a big chase. We had a big chase scene at the uh, supermarket. You've and, lived and, this movie. Yeah. I was like, this is relatable. <laughs> it was crazy, though. I mean, there was like that, that real hate for like the upper class there. Like when we take our bikes out of our little manse to go visit other rich, you know, people that were there. Um, you know, the, the locals would shoot like nitro balls, slingshots at you. So it was like kind of like a crazy arcade game really to get to your friend's house. Like, and they shoot and you know, our, our gardener tried to poison us, arsenic in the pool. Like it was, it was crazy, the crazy have, have not, uh, stuff. Why were you guys there? Uh, my dad worked for IBM. So he was there to, you know, industrialize a third world nation. So. As you know, as we're a as lot you of, do, yeah, as you do, as you go to there. So I mean, it was quite an experience, but it was uh, it was for sure an eye opener. It was such a transition for us because you know we didn't have that attitude of having everything at any point, and then we then we were the haves, yeah, and then there were the have nots, and they were after us, and it was intense. And, crazy. and how long were you there for? Ah, uh, two and a half, two and a half years. At what point did your gardener try to poison you? Uh, he tried to poison us a- after... Oh, sorry. The night guard tried to poison us because we fired the gardener who was his brother. So, Sapardi, the uh, night guard, tried to poison us after we fired Cardi, his brother, who was just this lazy bastard who did no gardening. Um, we had, like... A, and he had a garden because he had, like, crazy snakes in your Same backyard thing. and stuff. So, um, so yeah. One day, um, there was just, like, this big chunk of black stuff in the swimming pool. And that's primarily where, you know, we were young kids. We basically... that's where we showered because brown water came out of the shower heads. So we basically, yeah. uh, showered there. So, um, my mom was just like, what's that huge black lump of poison? Yeah. Yeah. Is that a lump of poison? So, you know, found out what it was and it was pretty nutty. So we had to fire some party, and, you know, <laughs> so not only was, does, was his brother a shitty gardener, but he was a terrible murderer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He was even worse. I mean, so incompetency yeah. runs in the family, runs so in the yeah. family. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you guys ever thought about making this into a movie? Ah, oh, maybe at some time, you know, once we have the wherewithal. I mean, there's tons of, of stuff to mine there. We, we got up to a lot of stuff. Great stories. Like, yeah. there's a Wes Anderson-esque version of this story. About, oh, yeah. Like, just, you know, from the kid's point of view, just being uplifted from, you know, middle-class Canada... So all of a sudden, you guys are like the elite. And yeah. you're like, what happened? How did we get... Well, yeah. So, oh, it was know, nuts. Yeah. And it was at a time when there was a lot of uh, political upheaval. So, uh, you know, we'd have to fly to Singapore just in the middle of the night. You'd just get in the car, go over. You'd hear... You'd hear and then just get, you know, get there, get there. And then we'd just have to go to Singapore for a couple of weeks till it all died down. <laughs> you know, one time we left a, a Serena, which was like kind of a big department building. Uh, you know, we would get our pirated tapes and stuff. And then minutes after we left, the whole thing was blown up, <laughs> fell to the ground with a bomb. It's crazy. So, Jesus. So yeah, it just like happened. Like your car is shaking as you're driving away and you look back and it's just like this giant building you're just in falling. You're like, what is the? <laughs> I didn't know anything about this. <laughs> this, is a, this, is a, this is way more interesting than the movie. <laughs> <laughs> I so, want to see this as the next Bucket Brothers Brew. Great. Done. Working on it. So, yeah. So, that, I mean, there was just, just, just to relate to the, the, uh, the haves and have-nots, that was sort of our, my relatable experience in that regard. So, it's pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty juicy. So, it is, it is legit. It is real. There is, like, that loathing that But it's that interesting because you were on both sides of it. Yeah. To some extent, right? Um, but just to go and to have that, 
But also, as a kid, you must have thought it's like, this is kind of a fun game where they try to hit us and we uh, try to avoid them. Or did, were you aware they hated you? Well, I mean, we were, because at first you don't, you, then you learn the language and then you, you learn that you, you know, they're throwing like racial epithets at you and, you know, they are not, they're not impressed and please. What's uh, their racial epithet of, of you? What was the thing they called you? Uh, uh, just basically stuff like white scum, you know, scumbag and fuck you. They, a lot of yentuck, which was fuck you, fuck off. Uh, you know, like it's kids on kids basically. But uh, yeah, it was white scum. Scum was the, the thing, scum. So um, yeah, it was, um, you don't really realize it until it becomes real. At first we thought it was a game and then it like hit a kid and exploded. He's got like a bad, bad rash, you know, it's really messed up skin. You're like, this, this is for real. It's fun when it, you're dodging it and they're just landing and it's harmless. But when it actually hits your skin, it does damage, you know? <laughs> and you'd have parties and pool parties and it, it, it would just fly over. You just see things fly over the wall. It's just, okay. Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. So. We just like filled bags with dog poop and let them on fire on our neighbor's Yard. <laughs> yeah, you got to be a little more ambitious, right? Because you have the night guard always try to murder us, but uh, you know, so there's gated, more you know, stories of this. Gated, so it was, uh, it was a time. It was a time. So, yeah, and Amazing. I'm sure everybody who's who who lived there uh, probably has their own tales as well. But when our friends all get together from that time, it's pretty good to to yarn it up. Yeah. Do you have friends from there that live here? Or uh, no. Our Some of our closest friends are from Australia. So our parents are really close. They still visit each other every couple of years. And uh, I haven't seen Glenn and Scott since uh, I was 20, so a while ago now. Um, but yeah, as far as I know, the the couples we did know that were from Canada, you know, they just we didn't quite get along with them yeah, as yeah, much. Yeah. So didn't want to keep in touch or... Fascinating. Yeah. Oh, wow. I'm, I, I love that I know that about you now. What a great... <laughs> we'll talk about that more on a, on a, di- at a different time. Right, yeah. It's yeah. a great experience. Yeah, I love talking about it, for sure. So where do you think this fits into, like, the Kurosawa that you've seen so far? Like, where would you rank it? I mean, this is one of his later movies. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's in, I think it's... Re- what, what, what I like about this one, and I think I, I, I appreciate this one more on a technical level than I do overall. I think, um, like, that first half is just amazing. Yeah. It's that you just see him at the top of his game in terms of his technical skill with blocking and camera work uh, and, and, and just the performance. Like, Mifune is amazing. Yeah. You know, you see, you sit there and you go, yeah, I don't under- I don't know what I would do in your scenario. Like, I can see both sides of it. And as much as I was sitting there flip-flopping in my head going, what should he do? Uh, you're seeing him doing it in a really subtle way. It was also great just seeing him not be a samurai. Yeah. And and uh, and being like a regular person, human being for once. I like that. I liked, I just love the irony of um, like these big, you know, masculine businessmen talking about women's shoes. <laughs> like there's something yeah. really funny and ironic about that for me for some reason that I really enjoyed. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's definitely not, I think one of his best movies that I've seen, but like he's, it's until at the end when it just feels like it's going on and on and on. And, and I don't understand the need for it to go on and on and on the way it is. Yeah. Uh, but the mastery is all there. It's definitely like, I've, I've been going through and watching a lot of his earlier stuff. Um, and it's interesting 
seeing the early stuff and, and see the stuff that he was already on to from the get-go. Um, you know, it's similar to, like, if you look at early Spielberg. Like, Spielberg's, I think, one of the greatest stagers. Like, he just knows how to stage scenes and, and setups and that kind of stuff. And that's evident, even if you go back and you look at, like, his student films he was doing. You know, he's still doing some interesting stuff inside of those. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's definitely... I, I, I don't want to call it Kurosawa light, because he's playing with some really heavy, intense themes here. Um, but... It's it's a movie I appreciate more than I love. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, uh, all the Kurosawa I'm really familiar with is all the kind of epicy Sa- yeah. Sa- samurai, samurai. You know, they're all they're all they all play big on a big scale, and Mifune's characters are typically you know larger than life in the sense of what they do and accomplish, and their you know their thoughts and dreams and aspirations. So seeing a, seeing him in that sort of uh this kind of more restrained even when he was like out mowing the lawn like in fully fully dressed with like pouring with sweat he was doing it with you know with cer- a certain demeanor to it was and there's not even that much grass on the lawn yeah he's doing I was it. like what kind of lawn is there anyways he's working hard though that's for damn sure <laughs> he's never cut grass before <laughs> yeah he's like, yeah exactly this is what I gotta do um yeah so it was interesting I, I mean this is a film where I think the parts are better than the whole. Yeah. So the first part, the like basically just staying in in the house, the the train sequence. I really do love that train sequence. I, I think it's it, it's very intricate, uh, intricately planned, especially like, the close ups on Mifune's face. Like once you realize what he's done, can't realize it, and it's the first really big close up that you can see in the film. He splashes water on his face, and he's just trying to relieve himself of it. And then you got the procedural. It's like they're all perfect parts. They're all perfect sequences. But together as a whole, for me, it's just so uneven. Yeah. It almost feels like the equivalent of him doing, like, an Oscar bait movie. Where he's like, I've done my big fun movies, I've done things. But it's like he's trying, it's almost like he's trying to do something very different here. And it's succeeding in some areas, but not as a whole, as you're saying. Yeah, but but I mean, with uh, how I de- uh, determine Oscar debate is just more of the topic, the themes of well, it. Well, it's, so, it's it, yeah, but you look at the themes in here. It's like a, a child kidnapped, you know, but it's not his. He's got that moral conundrum where it's like, well, I could save this child with my money, but I don't have to, and I'm not really responsible to, for him. You know, that's a pretty weighty topic. You know, the drugs, the the classism, uh, sort of, the, they roll in no, some yeah. some heavy topics there. Like, I don't, I, you know, I don't know if that's how hard it was to get heroin. It didn't seem so. There was a ton of junkies, but that guy went through excruciating pains. But even breaking down, like you were saying, Mark, like even that whole dance segment in that bar, that was really good unto yeah. itself. I really enjoyed, you know, all the movement in that and all the frenzy and the sweaty and the smoke and... The cops going through the all you know all kinds of different yeah, looks, especially and especially in the bar where you're trying to figure out like which ones are the cops, how are they looking at the uh, how are they looking at the intern, and like trying to figure out okay they're looking at him there and they're trying to follow him and you're trying to follow the cops, you're trying to follow them, watch the intern going down on the dance floor, especially when he's dancing with the woman, yeah. and you can see they're trying to follow him. How can't. hard is it to follow him? He's the only one wearing those mirrored sunglasses. I was gonna say, was that a point as well? The mirrored sunglasses. Yeah. But yeah, I did. Li- I just liked all that, but not in the greater scope. Where I was like, yeah. get the drugs, let's move on. <laughs> yeah, come on. But yeah, at that point, I was like, I like this. 
Well, that's almost what it is. Like he's like making these different sections of the movie, but not considering the pace of the whole. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Where by the end, I'm like, just get to it. Yeah, it's it's almost like I don't know because I don't think he edits his own stuff. Did he work the same editor all the time, or because it's almost like he was so big at this point as a filmmaker that no one said Akira. This is definitely the point where you he should was, you could shut some of this down. Cut even it down, you just buddy. look at the, the the opening credits and it says it's a Toho Kurosawa production. Yeah, so it's like it, it, he'd gotten away. He's a thing, from, yeah, yeah. He's gotten away from just being working for Toho, and now yeah, it's yeah. like it's him. You know, he's at this point in his career where he's doing whatever he wants to do, and and, and not too long from this period, I think. Um, you know, it, it gets to the point where he can't even finance movies anymore. Because they're so epic and sprawling and big, and it's not until you know, years later you get guys like George Lucas Lucas, and and Scorsese coming in and trying to help him get financed because they won't finance him in Japan anymore because he's just such a a slave master Mm -hmm. and you know wants things his own way. Like when they're making Seven Samurai, he wanted to build that village, right? Right? And you know the story? I remember it, but not... Yeah, I just so remember wants, it totally. Yeah. So he wants to build... He, he, just, he wanted to build the Japanese village to shoot in, because he's like, we can't... That's the only way to do it. And I believe it was the, the executive of Toho said, no, there's no way we're paying for that. And he said... And they're already heavily into pre-production. Much... A lot of money being spent. He's like, well, I'm going to go fishing. Uh, let me know when you change your mind. I'll just be over there. <laughs> <laughs> So, I, I'll see when the village is built. So, yeah, just yeah. let me know when uh, when you change your mind. It's not even a negotiation about how yeah. it's like. Well, well, until you get your heads on straight, I'll just be over there. Yeah. Enjoy. See you later. Yeah, yeah. balls so, on that guy. Yeah. Well, at the point he was he, he was kind of uh, an un- unparalleled, you know. Mm-hmm. So he he got away with that kind of shit for a long time right. because because he could, you know. Yeah, so I mean, it just seems to me like he, they were like, okay, this is what you want, this is what you get, you know, instead of someone saying, you really got to cut yeah. some shit out of this, you know, to make this tight. Yeah, this is, he's at like George Lucas during the prequels era yeah, where yeah. no one's going, uh, maybe don't talk about midichlorians. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> they were brilliant. Yeah, you should totally explain how the force works. Yeah. Just uh, lay it right the fuck out. I think, I mean, there's, we go through a laundry list of filmmakers that probably could really use, like, a real friend at a certain point, you know, in their careers. I think that's the best way to describe it. It's not like a no man, yeah. but it's just someone that's not a blind yes man to go, yeah. you know, have you thought about this choice, really? Yeah. Luckily, we're Canadian filmmakers, and so we're just surrounded by those people. <laughs> yeah, up until a few years ago, Brett and I were just happy to get like seventy minutes worth of footage to you know use to create a feature. Like that, we had to get everything into it just to make it a feature length. So when yeah. we actually had spare footage, it was nice. We're like, we can cut shit out. We can yeah. cut it out. That's amazing, isn't it? We no don't options. need it. We don't need this, and we can get rid of it as well. Yeah. Amazing. We shot too much. <laughs> oh, wow. So uh, yeah. That's I think that kind of oozes a little bit of that for sure because I I'd be interested to see what he did afterwards too and what he maybe learned from uh, high and low what he was trying to achieve and then how it kind of morphed into other stuff later on I you know I, I'm not because I read nothing uh, on it beforehand so yeah uh, other than a little Criterion blurb um, so I don't know you know what movies directly came before and how it informed what movies came after and yeah you know, yeah this is his his latest. Uh, of the films that I have of his. So this is after Yujimbo 
and Seven Samurai, Seven Samurai, and Rashomon, and all those movies. Well, Rashomon's like right in the middle. Rashomon was the big breakout movie for him, because um, before that he was just doing not like cookie cutter movies, but he was just kind of in that yeah. studio sausage factory system where they were just churning out movies, mm-hmm. and he he would write a movie in two days, three days, and he was just doing it just to pay for sake. Right. Yeah. <laughs> ah, the good old days. If you haven't read, um, it's called something like an autobiography or something like a biography. It's his autobiography. Uh, and it just goes up until about Rashomon because he claims he doesn't want to talk about the period after because he'll just be talking shit about people. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Damn, that sounds good. I know. That sounds like the best part. Yeah. Uh, but it is really, really fascinating. And you, and you get a window into, into him and his early life. And, uh, and, just what, and how also because it was at the point uh, where he started just before the, when the war was on. And in Japan was really struggling, you know, to still be part of the the Allies or the Axis, you know. And they were partnered with Germany, and so just having to make propaganda films against, uh, you know, America and in Europe, mm-hmm. and and just being forced to. If you're going to make a movie, it has to be about this or this. Right. You can't make a movie with modern themes. And so seeing him kind of break that mold in this film, but also there's this great movie uh, he made just after the war called One Wonderful Sunday. You ever heard of it? No. Really, really great. It's, it's part of one of the Eclipse packages, and it's essentially just about this young man and this young woman who are both in their 20s and broke and want to go on a date with each other, but they can't afford to do anything, so they just wander around Tokyo. I think it's Tokyo. It's a Japanese city. It seems lovely. Uh, or it could be Yokohama, actually. Um, and, and just kind of walking around and just enjoying the afternoon. It's kind of like a precursor to Before Sunset. I was going to say. Yeah. And Before Sunrise. Richard Linklater. Yeah, Richard Linklater. Definitely. I'm, I'd be shocked if, if that wasn't one of his influences yeah. for the movie. Uh, it, it, beautiful and, and, and very different for Kurosawa, too. Uh, when, you, when you consider the rest of his filmography, it's almost like him doing a romantic comedy. Right. In a, in, a, in a weird way. Or his version of romantic comedy, anyway. Anyway, highly recommend it. Um, yeah. Who do you cast in this movie? You, you remake this movie today. Who, who's playing Mifune? Who's a good modern day Mifune? Gosh. I really want to go Nicolas Cage, but that just seems. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yo, you, okay, hold on. You can see. What? Okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. Hold on. I'm not talking about him being restrained. I'm just, like, picturing. Nick Cage is going batshit crazy. What as version of Nick Cage? Yeah. Like, like, what movie from Nick Cage is is a corollary for this? Um, <laughs> Brett Eddie, is Eddie, shaking Eddie. his head. <laughs> I love Nick Cage. I don't even. I would never see that ever. Wait, we're talking like, like, like in his like post twenty ten when like every role that he had was that his daughter or some family member was missing. Yeah, but yeah, he, but he never crazy. Had that, but he would never have that restraint. Yeah, never. <laughs> That would be Not, a great challenge for him. Even to grow like, like a mustache of that restraint. I was just thinking that. Like, his mustache that. would never be like that. Yeah, it would, he would, would be, go big and bushy with that mustache. But why not cast and make it against type? I don't know if he could write that, That'd be an interesting challenge. Um, it, it, like, if this was made around the same time, I think you cast, like, Sean Connery. Would be interesting in that mm. part. Wait, hold on. Like, uh, remaking it, like, 1960s when this was made? Or, or like... No, no, if you're, if you're doing it now, I'm, I'm trying to think of the, like an equivalent to Mifune now. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm drawing blanks. 
I want like, Clooney could do it. Clooney could definitely do it. Um, yeah, you know, my my go to guy is Michael Shannon because I think he can do pretty much mm-hmm. anything. Um, he's got such that he's got that quiet, burning intensity in his eyes. Um, Shannon's a good choice. Um, I like that. I'm gonna go with Clooney. I think Clooney would do it, and he could rock that mustache. And the cardigan. He would look great in that cardigan that he's wearing. He, he could definitely wear the clothes, for sure. And you and then you get Damon playing the second in command. It fucks yeah. him over. Yeah. Just basically... <laughs> and then the rest of the Ocean's 13 are just part... Are, are, the, are, are the cops. No, no, they're the executives. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. And Andy Garcia uh, is the cop that's trying to help him out. Um, I could see maybe uh, J.K. Simmons type. Maybe. J.K. Simmons? Oh, yeah, J.K. Simmons would be great. Yeah, is it like a younger J.K. Simmons? But yeah, yeah, I like that. J.K. Simmons always seemed the same age. Like it's true. Well, because yeah. he's always one of those actors that came into his own later on. Right, right, right with Oz and stuff. But yeah, he, I just he's one of those guys I can't really imagine. Like I've never seen. He was older. never young. Yeah, he was never. He just he was twenty years old. Hair fall off. He was and just perpetually guy, like in his mid forties, early fifties. Yeah, yeah. And he, so he'll seemingly never age for yeah. like forty five years. He'll yeah, be like, like Morgan basically Freeman. The same age. Morgan Freeman just arrived fully formed yeah. with that voice. Yeah, yeah. At forty, <laughs> as like a crack dealer in that one movie. Uh, I remember my first one. I remember Freeman is the one where he played the principal. The uh, Lean on me. Lean on me. Yeah, I think we watched that in high they school. They used to call me Crazy Joe, but now they call me Batman. It's classic. It's good stuff. I like to see Philip Seymour Hoffman in there somehow. He's, I mean, such a chameleon. He'd probably be good in any role you throw him into in, in the high and low now version. Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. the guy that always worked with uh, Paul Thomas Anderson? Um, Philip Baker Phil, Hall. Yeah, Philip Baker Hall. Just like a Magnolia era Philip Baker Hall. Yeah. I was, thinking, I was thinking John C. Riley. Ooh. Ooh, that I like. He's great. Thomas Jane's great. I love him, and he's totally. Yeah. So a lot of people could play this part. Okay. Yeah. That's where we've landed. Who who makes the movie? Who's the director of this movie now? Hmm. <sighs> you know, are we going for something that's? You know, it, is he going for like gritty and sweaty? Is a gritty and sweaty movie like this? The the first, you know, the second, the t- last two thirds are very like you know sweat. I mean, the one guy I think was like dabbing right in. His, he went right in there when he was reading his notes. With the other hand, he seemed to be like dug right under his shirt into his pits and then he rubbed his head I was like whoa that is intense you don't even care um, <laughs> um, you know and then there's a lot a lot of the cigarette smoking in that but the first part was uh, you know such a, a different feel and vibe uh, you know I wonder if it was all like sweaty and grimy and gross or if it was all separated you know because certain filmmakers I, I think work in one million yeah. better than another when it comes to um, yeah I mean, well, I mean, who are you thinking of when you say you're going sweaty and grimy so who's I'm, I'm, I'm trying to I'm trying to I mean right I, now, I, I mentioned David grimy. Fincher before because he's done a lot of those crime gritty yeah like for me stories. it's like it's one of the classic it's, you got like a Fincher or Scorsese does this Scorsese would do an interesting version of this yeah when I think yeah. sweaty I think Spike Lee um, yeah Who's done you know a heist movie? He's thrown a heist movie in there, and he does sweaty crime movies really well. But uh, he's always good for our summer sweat series. Um, I'm sure he'd have an interesting take on it, especially with the sort of the, the class stuff that goes on in there. Oh yeah, do no. I like Spike Lee. Do it, Spike Lee, and do it inside of you know African American 
culture, but within the class system inside of that. Yeah, like yeah. with the the seller, the, the the proverbial Uncle Tom type or whatever. Yeah. Or, you know, leverage that sort of idea. And then you get Sam Jackson, plays Mufune. <laughs> so then who plays your bad guy, though? Jamie, Jamie Foxx. <laughs> but why? People didn't see it coming. That, like, you just immediately replied, Jamie Foxx, why? I don't know why. why? Cause it's Fox? that last scene. It's that last scene when he's, when he's kind of peacocking in, in jail. He's like, I don't give a fuck if I die. I was already in jail. So basically, you got I was just dying inside of a shitty, shitty apartment. Now I'm dying in here. Yeah. So, so basically, what if you just cast Michael B. Jordan just playing Killmonger again? In oh, the- oh, sure. Yeah, <laughs> Michael G. Jordan would work really well. I mean, Jimmy Fox is a bit too old now. Yeah, yeah. I was like, you need somebody in like their, Donald their- Glover. Throw Donald Glover. Oh, in ooh, ooh, that'd be fun. He'd be great. Yeah. There we go. That's good. That's good yeah. casting right there. People Spike Lee directing. Um, my. Yeah. Uh, Samuel Jackson as Mufune, Donald Glover as the intern. Well, I wonder if that that actor who played the uh, the killer in this, I wonder if that was like a cameo for that actor. Like, you know, is he a big name at the time, or you know, was it an unknown? He looks familiar, but I couldn't place him. A couple of them look familiar. Like, I'm like, I think I know you, Latter Day style. When you've grown up a little bit more, you're a little mm-hmm. bit older, refined. So, uh, there we go. But we we can stunt cast that with a little Donald mm-hmm. Glover. That'd be good. I like it. Yeah, because yeah, you don't because that part's not even huge. And they just start spring. That was the other interesting thing is that that moment where the they, the film just decides to reveal who it is, uh, and it also one of those things that sets up his expectations. Like, oh, so he's showing his hand. You know, Kurosawa is showing the hand and going, "Here's the person that did it." Now it's up to us to try to figure out, as the police are trying to figure out how it's connected. Right. And then the frustration of realizing it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And more and more, I respect that choice. It's badass. Uh, and he, but I thought even maybe they'd show us, a, you know, make us empathize with that character a little bit more. Like, oh, well, you know, you know, this makes sense as well. But there was nothing. There was no, like... No, you're right. No. I think, I think the, the remake, you'd have to... You'd have to get both sides of it. And, and just to play in that gray area. Yeah, the gray area. Yeah, totally. Because they really do make... As soon as Mufune decides to give up that money, they really decide he's the good guy now. Yeah. Even though he doesn't seem totally happy about it himself. He's like, ah, all right, yeah, I'm a good guy, but I'm also like, it was the right thing to do. Uh, it sucks like hell. Yeah, right so I'll, do. I'll take it. Even though apparently everyone loves me now. Whatever. But I love that. I love that everyone loved him now, but he was losing his house. He was losing his fortune. Yeah. You know, as, as the yeah, ble- you'd figure that because of public opinion, people would be boycotting the shoe company if they... Yeah. But they don't. It's just like yeah. now, it's like people rant and rave on Facebook about... The, or people even just like, oh, the Facebook stuff that came out recently. Everyone's shutting down their accounts, but it's like Facebook is what we find. No. They're not going anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Nestle. Boycott Nestle. People don't boycott. They do it for a week or two, and then, they, and then something happens and they forget. Oh, oh you mean like 2012? Uh, no, that, but, that, that came up recently. <laughs> no, but that's just it. It's just like it happens. Sadly, that's yeah. what happens. It's like, yeah, they, he's got public favor, but it doesn't keep him... And they offer him his job back... But he even says, like, I'm not going to be your poster boy. I know you're doing this. I'm not stupid. Yeah. yeah. You know, but I love that final meeting where the cops come and, and, and the, the auctioneer is, like, placing We're claiming tag, that. We're claiming that. Placing tags on stuff as they're talking. Yeah. yeah. I was like, a cell phone would have been handy at that time. Next to me. Like, hold off. We're going to get you your money. We're feeling good about this. But no. Too late. <laughs> Too late. So as writer-directors, what do you take away from this film that's, you know, that, that, that kind of helped... I wouldn't say it helps you, but just more of... 
I think. Like, what uh, what do me, you take away? I think it's like whenever I I don't know how you you get it's like whenever I I have a, a scene and I'm, I'm I'm prepping a movie right now and I have a a scene in it that's like an eight page three hander scene. It's all one look all in one set doesn't move around a lot and I go. Yeah, and I'm looking at movies with big, long scenes in one location and just looking at them for staging. And so this is definitely one. I'll probably rewatch this first half at some point again, just to, just because I think it's a master class in staging. Oh, yeah. Uh, and just how they set that up. But also, it's like, I'm never going to have the rehearsal time. Yeah, I'm not too curious how I had to kind of choreograph that all. But also, I'm not... A dictator, the way I think Kurosawa was in his staging and blocking, like he's doing it the way a theater director does. Yeah, well, totally. You know, where it's like I I like to show up on the day and have a sense in my head of where I think it's going to go, but I'd rather see the actors with where their instincts go mm-hmm. um, first, and then I'll throw in my two cents. Um, yeah, what do you take away from? Ah. Uh- I mean, generally the same thing. I was most impressed with the staging and the movement and stuff like that. And, you know, the use of the camera and that sort of... That framing, I was like... I, I thought the frame was great. And not, you know, not being afraid of using the frame in kind of... <sighs> ways that are would probably not be considered, like, you know, the norm, the standard. Which I really like. And I noticed, you know, and I thought it was, it was aggressive. And I like that. Go for it. You know, I think it, you know, challenged the viewer. So... It was a friendly reminder in that regard. Um, and, and also, to me, it's go with what works. If you're feeling it on the day, you know, you should stick with it. Like, I, I, yeah. I could have watched you play out those scenes. Play them out. Like, you know, and, you know, over here and over here, there was so much happening with nothing happening at all there. But, you yeah, know, you know, as, you as still feel somebody watching, yeah, you know. We're we're always making movies. We assume for a sophisticated viewer and somebody who will get more out of it the second time they watch it and are investing themselves in it, and not just kind of like, yeah, like that. So uh, it's just it's always a nice reminder because sometimes you lose sort of that context when you watch sort of mediocre movies a lot, and then it's nice to watch you know masters do things. You know, this wasn't a full hit, but there was some mastery in that. Yeah. yeah. Maybe not in the storytelling. Yeah. But especially in the way that you really used that room full of people in that opening, you know, there's that one, there was that one great moment. I can't remember who it was, but I just remember it's when Mifune is like kind of trying to figure out what he's going to do. And it's a perfect time where you might go in tighter and just really get his face. But instead we pull back, we pull back and we see the police turning away from him. It's right around when when I think the chauffeur is begging him to to loan him the money, and the cops like turn away because they realize how hard this is for him, and they don't want to be they they don't want to be staring at him and putting that pressure on him, and it just looking around that room when Mifune's just sitting on the couch, his, his head's in his lap, and just watching how everyone else is reacting to him yeah. is is the exactly the right choice, but not the obvious choice, right? And I think that's what you're talking about how Kurosawa is. Kind of goes against the grain. Like, I mean, he's also that one of the first filmmakers to you know point the camera at the sun, right? And use the use the backlight. Where yeah. Everyone else before that he did that thought it would burn up the the, the, the film. You know, <laughs> he'll but, shoot nothing. He's like, just try it. Maybe it'll look great. You know. And uh, so he's not afraid to try new interesting things. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> like even that scene at the because I was perfectly content when the cops were doing their standing up reading their notes rubbing themselves down, sweaty. I could have watched that for a half hour straight, you know? It was almost probably half an hour by the end of it. 
Uh, but I didn't get tired of it. And again, it was like yeah. just kind of like this nice choreography of movement up here, down here, up there, you know, tight, then move here. And so good. That's my cue. I had to go pick up a buddy at the airport. That is good timing. So, so final, uh, final thoughts. Um, again, I'm, I'm going to say like the, the parts are better than the whole. I would like to revisit this again sometime just to pay attention more to, uh, again, blocking, staging. That first half is just brilliant. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to dive into the... the uh, that's what I love about Criterion, the, the, the booklet. Yeah. I'll, I'll be reading the essays in there tomorrow. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, totally. I mean, that's my takeaway. I'd like to actually see um, what movies it has influenced and then see that in action as well. And Because uh, I always... I, you know, you have those like link later. You're like, ah, that's where they got that from. They're not totally brilliant. They ripped that off. And yeah. then just kind of, you know, made it malleable to their own style. Um, so I'd be very intrigued about that sort of thing, um, its influence, um, and that, and just, and just what, uh, Kurosawa was trying to achieve by making the choices or non-choices that he made in the film and, you know, what it's about in that regard. I, I feel that being very removed from knowing that much about Kurosawa's filmography and his history, I, like, I, I don't know what era or what he was thinking of when he was making this film, mm-hmm. what kind of mindset he was in the kind of state uh, Japan was in at the time, its class structure. I know that we mentioned that before. Um, but although like, I, I did enjoy watching the movie, it's just without kind of having that cultural... Context? Yeah. <clears throat> like, I, I feel like a lot was lost on my understanding of the film. Well, then go get yourself educated, Mark, and come back and watch the film. Get yourself educated. I yeah. would. But, I still but, feel that was a really long, drawn-out <laughs> copying a drug scene. For no excuse ever for that. Ever. <laughs> Kira was here right now. What are you thinking? What are you thinking? Come on. All right, well, thanks, guys. Yeah. Thank you. Glad I watched it. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious. Thanks for joining us for High and Low. If you like the show, please subscribe to the podcast and spread the word about it. You can find me on Twitter at Lon Jeremy and go to Facebook for Black Hole Films. Leave a review there or on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is you listen to this thing. And until next time, go watch something you've never seen before. Thanks. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.